Amen. We are in the book of Philippians, and we are looking at ways that we can be full of joy. Paul, uh, if you remember, uh, is in prison at this time. Uh, he has been beaten. He has been stoned. He has been shipwrecked. He has gone through so many things, and right now he is sitting in a Roman prison, enchained, simply because he spoke uh, the gospel of Jesus to the hurting and the lost. And in the midst of this imprisonment, Paul says over and over again, I rejoice. And we have been looking at the principles that Paul is sharing with the church in Philippi, in Philippi that they also may be able to rejoice. And so if if he, in the middle of prison, can rejoice, what he's saying is we, no matter what's going on, we can rejoice in the same way. And so um, we're going to pick it up today in Philippians chapter 1, and let's uh, read our text at the end of verse 18, and then we're going to read verse 19, and we're just going to uh, look at that verse. So this is what he says. Uh, he says, yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul says, I will rejoice I am going to just be filled with joy because I know that what has happened to me is going to lead to my deliverance. Now, this is somewhat similar. A couple of weeks ago, one of the principles that we talked about is rejoicing in our circumstances because Paul said, the things that have happened to me have caused me to rejoice because when I look at what has happened to me, I see that it has made the kingdom of God advance. And I rejoice in that because it's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. And if, if what happens to me brings the kingdom of God forward, then I rejoice. And he said, not only that, but I rejoice because it causes other people to see the Lord that has changed my life. He said that the, even his captives, the guards, had seen the reflection of Christ in him. So because of what has happened to him, people that had ne would have never seen Jesus saw Jesus. And so he rejoiced in what had happened to him. Not only that, but he said that what has happened to me has caused other believers to become more confident because they have seen what has happened to me. And if I can make it through then they know that they can make it through. And so what has happened to me has caused them to experience strength and confidence and boldness to fulfill their purpose in Jesus. And so it is all the things that has happened to Paul that caused him to rejoice. Now today, he's going to look at what has happened to him again. So again, we, we see these words, what has happened to me, 
But now he looks inward. Not only am I rejoicing that what has happened to me has caused all these great things to others. But today he says, not only that, but what has happened, I rejoice because it will lead to my deliverance. Now he sees that what has happened to him, not only does it benefit others, but he says, all of this that has happened to me is to my benefit. And you might say, how can he say that? That being thrown in prison, being beaten and chained, that's what's good for him? I mean, it's not what we would want. We don't see what has happened to us as to our benefit, but yet maybe we should. Even this quarantine time, this pandemic time, uh, the, the fear and, and the sickness and the deaths that we have experienced of maybe loved ones and people that we know, how can that be for our good? And how can it bring our deliverance? You see, we need to look at this word deliverance. I know that when we experience hard things, we don't see them as blessings. I know personally this week, I have experienced some disappointments that have just been unseen, wasn't expected. It's like getting cut, kicked in the gut. And I didn't feel like I was very blessed. But you see, when we change our definition of blessing, and Paul is not saying that you're going to enjoy these things. I, I, I mean, I have felt very discouraged this week. I've questioned, God, are, what, what are you really asking for me? Because I thought I had heard what you wanted and, and this is not happening now. It's not happening the way I thought. And, you know, I just feel like everything is falling apart. And yet Paul says, lift up your head. Because when you feel like that, it is happening for your deliverance. So I want to look at this word. What does it mean this has happened for my deliverance? He does not mean that this is happening so that God can take all the bad stuff away. When he talks about deliverance, he is not talking about making everything right again. All of this has not happened so that you can experience uh, uh, ease in your life and you're going to get more blessings. That's not the deliverance that he's talking about. And so I think we need to understand so that we can change how we view the circumstances of our life. You see, this, this quote that Paul says, when he says, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, is actually a quote from the Old Testament. And it's actually found in two different places. And so I want us to look there. Um, the first place is in Job. <laughs> Again, Job is a man that who knew suffering. And in Job chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 13, this is what Job said. And this is what Paul is quoting. And so when he quoted this, uh, the Jews would have understood what he was saying. He was not saying that what has happened to me is going to make everything right. And it is not going to deliver me out of these 
prison that I'm in, because actually Paul didn't know if he was ever going to get out of prison. In Paul's mind, more than likely, he was going to be executed. So when he says, what has happened to me is going to lead to my deliverance, he does not necessarily mean to be delivered from prison. In fact, any expectation that he had was that he was not going, that this was going to be the rest of his life. But he refers to this mindset that is, first of all, mentioned in Job. So Job chapter 13, starting in verse 13, says this, Keep silent and let me speak. Then let come to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. This is what Job proclaims. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. For no godless man would dare come before him, meaning God. Listen carefully to my words. Let your ears take in what I say. Now that I have prepared my case, I know that I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. You see, Job is saying, I know that through this, God has a purpose. He says, I know that I have not betrayed God. Now, he's not saying I'm perfect. He's not saying that I'm a sinless man. But he's saying, I know that I have not turned my heart away from God. And so that this punishment that I am receiving, it is not because I have um, uh, forsaken or rebelled against God. And he says, if you think so, then you can bring that charge against me. But I will stand before God knowing that God will, and he uses this word, vindicate me. And this is what he says. He says, though God slay me, yet will I hope in him? Because he realized that even though God slay him and bring this punishment against him, he knew that God had a purpose and he was going to hope in God. His hope was that God was somehow using this to prepare him for that day when he would stand before God and he would receive this vindication, uh, this proof of his glory, the reward of his faithfulness from God himself. So this thought of being delivered, and this is what Job says, indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. He was looking forward to the day when he stood before God. He said, the stuff that I am going through right now, it is going to lead to a revelation of the glory of God in me when I stand before God. I'm going to receive the acceptance of God himself. And he said, that's all I care about. I don't care about what you think about me. I don't care about what happens to me on earth. I just want to receive the pleasure of God when I stand before him. And he says those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the vindication. The vindication is the proof of his faithfulness to God. He said, I just want to know that I was faithful to God. 
And one day I will receive the reward of my faithfulness. And so this is the deliverance that he looks forward to. And this is what Paul is referring to, that this also will lead to my deliverance, that what is happening to me is preparing me so that when I stand before God, I can stand before him blameless and I have proven myself faithful. You see, there's no greater reward than to be proven faithful. And what is happening to me is proving me. It is giving me an opportunity to to receive that acceptance, that acknowledgement before God. It is also mentioned in Psalm 34. So let's look in Psalm 34. Um, And um, uh, we'll pick it up in verse uh, 1. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Sound familiar? Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. It's the same thought of deliverance here. Those who look to me, look to him, are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and he delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him From them all. You see, what he is saying over and over again is that the Lord delivers the man who is faithful to him. Now, when you read this, many times people read this as as God takes them out of their troubles. And if you'll notice over and over again, he says, Blessed are the brokenhearted, are the stricken, many are the troubles. So he is not saying that God is going to always take them, but it says that he delivers them from them all. What he's saying that every trouble that comes on, and you may have many troubles. He's not saying that you're going to have a trouble-free life or that God's always going to rescue you. That's not what this psalm is saying. What this psalm is saying over and over again, it says you're going to be broken at times. You're going to face trials at some times. But if you will seek the Lord God is working a deliverance for you. 
He will deliver you out of them. Now, out of them does not mean he will lift you out of them, but it means basically through them that they are producing the deliverance. That out of your suffering, you receive deliverance. You see, that's what it means when he says, I will deliver you out of all of them or from them. He's not delivering you from every trial, but your deliverance comes from the trial. In other words, the trials, the hardships, God uses them to create deliverance. And that deliverance is what we rejoice in. Um, it is a rejoicing that every time we go through hardship, through the faithfulness of God, that hardship is just adding to our deliverance. It's adding to our reward. It is adding to one more thing that I have overcome. And the more things that we have overcome, the greater our reward that we will receive when we stand before God. So he is saying that this deliverance comes because of our hardships. Um, we see that Paul talked about it himself. And this is how Paul used the same thing and he described it to other churches. And in this letter to the Corinthians, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is how Paul exp explained the same thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, this is what Paul says, for this light and momentary affliction. I love how he uses those words. His affliction was neither light nor momentary. And yet Paul says, because I am so focused on what God is doing for me, all the things that are happening to me, even though they are breaking my heart and they feel like I am just being destroyed, to me, compared to the glory of God that I focus on, that I choose to look to God, these things that are happening to me, they seem like they're just light and momentary. So he says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, do you have such a view of God that the hurts of this life seem like a mosquito bite compared to the glory that God is bringing out of it? I'm having to tell myself that this week. That even though I feel crushed, I have to say, God, as bad as I feel, it must mean that there must be a great glory in heaven if I will lift you up. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond our comparison. Are we willing to see that? Now, here's the thing, though. How does the things that happen to us prepare us for a glorious reward in heaven? It only happens if we don't let those circumstances crush us. You see, in James, James also tells us, rejoice when you experience all kinds of hardships because they are perfecting you. So in other words, you need to let them perfect you. Uh, remember, Job was saying, I'm going to stand upon my blamelessness. I'm going to continue to be faithful to God. I am not going to give in. 
And then in the Psalm 34, it says, blessed is a person who seeks God, who does not let their lips uh, speak lies, who does not let their heart uh, turn towards evil, who does not respond to evil. And so the way Paul says that the things that have happened to me are going to lead to my deliverance is because I'm not going to respond to them by letting them get me down. I am not going to respond to these hurts by letting the enemy tempt me into walking away from God. You see, that's the choice that many of us have. We've heard the saying, and this is a true saying, when we are hurt, when things happen, they can either do one of two things. They either make you bitter or they make you better. But you have to choose. Are you going uh, uh, to choose to not get bitter? I'm not going to respond in a way that will separate me from God. But I will choose to let these things uh, that are happening to me make me better and even expand my honoring of God. You see, he uses these three words, my hands, my lips, and my heart. And in Psalm uh, 24, it says, who is able to ascend to God? In other words, who's going to be the person that is able to stand before God and receive that deliverance? It says, but he who has clean hands and clean lips and a pure heart. And so we have got to say, God, when all of this happens to me, I am going to determine that I am going to keep my hands clean and I'm going to keep my lips pure and I'm going to keep my heart steady and steadfast in God. You see, so many times when when things go wrong and we start to go down a road of suffering like we're in right now, the longer it lasts, at first it's easy to hold on, but you know, the longer it lasts, it starts getting harder and harder. And we, we start getting more and more tempted to, first of all, let our hands begin to do things that we used to do. Because you know, when you're hurting, when you're struggling, you tend to fall back into bad habits. And Paul says, keep your hands clean. Don't fall back into those bad habits that you used to. Don't give up on God and, and just start doing things that you know are wrong. The other thing is watch your lips. It's so easy when things are, are, are going wrong that, that you begin to blame others. You begin to get angry and, and, and accuse others. You begin to say things that later on you wish you had never said. And so we need to say, God, help me to keep my lips pure, even though I'm hurting. And even though things come to my mind that I want to say things, but if I do, I know that that will destroy what this could work in me. And the other thing is I need to keep my heart steadfast in God because, you know, it's easy to let your heart go to dark places when you're hurt. It's easy to, to give in to hatred and bitterness or even to give in to despair uh, and, and depression and, 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 and self-pity. I know that. I go through that and I, I, I had to battle that this week. I felt pretty sorry for myself. But I said, I cannot let my heart give in to that. Yes, we're going to experience it, but do not let it 
begin to grow and take hold of us. I'm going to keep my heart steadfast. And when we do that, even though we are hurting and even though we're struggling, it is then that God is able to use the circumstances to purify us, to, to refine us like gold, to, to even through the hard things begin to, to, to get some of that old chaff out of the way that maybe has been in there that we didn't even know was there. But this, this fire and storm begins to get it out if we will keep our focus on God and choose to stay faithful and focused on God. And when we rejoice in what is happening, it allows God to keep our focus on what he is doing. Now, to close out, this happens in in two ways. Paul says, there's two things that help me keep my lips pure, my hands clean, my heart faithful, and I need these two things to do it. He says, the first thing is I know through your prayers this will lead to my deliverance. You see, you need to know we need one another. It is only through one another, it is only through leaning on each other that we are able to make it through. And God does not plan for any of us to make it through on our own anyway. Because this glory that he is preparing is not for me individually, but it is a corporate glory. It is a body. We are one body, and we are going to rejoice together when we stand before God. We are going to rejoice together. It is a team title, championship. This is not an individual championship, but this is a team that we are going to join each other in the middle of the field when the final whistle blows and we're going to rejoice. And you know, like any team, there's going to be some players that are going to be bloody and beaten up. There's going to be other players uh, that, that seem like they are unscathed. But you know what? At the end, it doesn't matter. We're one team and we're going to rejoice together because God uses us all and we cannot make it without one another's prayers. And so Paul says, I only make it through because of you. And in fact, in Romans chapter 15, he writes this. He says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves, but each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You see, we need to bear one another up. And we need to begin to to encourage one another. Now you might say, how can we do that? Because we're not meeting together. That's why we need to come to church. Paul was encouraged. Paul was not meeting with them. Paul was isolated. And he said, I am still encouraged because just because we are isolated, does not mean that we cannot be encouraged by one another. We are praying for one another. We can still connect with one another. He still received the letters. And when he received a letter from them, it just lifted him up. Well, we have more than letters. We can even text one another. We can talk to each other on the phone. We can connect like this right now, face to face. 
And so even though we are not meeting together, we can still encourage one another. And I encourage you to find a way to connect with each other. Don't just say, well, we're not meeting at church anymore. And so then you isolate yourself. You need to find your way to stay connected. Continue to pray for one another, to call one another, uh, to text one another, even to drive by and visit one another from a distance. Because we need one another. And it doesn't matter whether we are rich or poor. We need young, we need old. We need red, yellow, black, and white. We all need each other. And Paul said, it is because of your prayers and your support that I'm going to make it. And not only your prayers, but when he talks about prayers, he is not just talking about a, 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 a thought that we give to God for someone else. In fact, the early church saw prayers as something that is, that is connected to our action. A prayer is a partnership. In other words, when we pray to God, it is not just a communication. It is a partnership with God. When I pray to God, I am bringing myself into um, a partnership that God, I need you to change me, to mold me. And it is through my prayers that I don't just talk to him, but I begin to participate with him in what he is doing. And it is through that communication that it's kind of like that huddle. The huddle is only there if it leads to a play being run. And so the huddle is connected to action. You see, if they just stayed in the huddle and they never came out of it, then that has no use at all. That's not a prayer. If only you do is pray, getting on your knees and pray, but you never get up and do something, then it was never really a prayer. A prayer is a prayer when it leads to action. And so Paul says, your prayers are what's making difference because I see action in you. And so the things that he heard that they were doing, that encouraged him just as much as their prayer for him. So it's not just about what others can do for me. It's about what I see others and I rejoice in what God is doing in them. And I participate with them. I partner with them. And I rejoice as I see God working in them. He talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, again, he says this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. And indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he has delivered us. There's that word again. He has delivered us uh, from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And on him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. You see, he's saying all of these things, we felt like we were dying. I felt like I couldn't even endure, but my hope is in him. And it says this, our conscience testifies that we conducted ourselves in our relationships with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God, that we have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything that you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you understand us in part, 
you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we boast of you on the day of the Lord Jesus. So he's saying, you see, the things that happen to us, they are the things that you can boast on when you stand before Jesus because you had a part in it. And the things that have happened to you, I'm going to boast on it when I stand before Jesus because you are part of my body. And so Paul says, you need to understand that when we suffer, that it is not for my benefit, but it is also for all of ours that we are going to receive blessings because of it. And so because of one another, we can keep our lips clean. We can keep our hands clean, our hearts pure, because we lean on one another. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. But not only that, he says, I can do this because of your prayers, but it also says, and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the reason we can overcome every hardship, every disappointment, is when we allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, we cannot do it without the Spirit of Jesus. He says throughout the Scripture, it is by the Spirit that we are successful. In the Old Testament, it says, um, uh, it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my Spirit, says the Lord, that, that we are going to overcome. It is when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill our heart. Now, how do we allow the Holy Spirit to fill our heart? It says that if we are going to walk by the Spirit, we must place our mind on spiritual things. So that means we need to seek the Spirit in our minds, in our heart. We need to think on those things. We need to constantly um, uh, uh, turn our thoughts and our needs upon the Spirit. And that comes through the Word of God. That comes through times in prayer. And we need to begin to not just focus on practical things, but we do need to begin to develop spiritual practices. That means uh, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to begin to spend time in contemplation, in meditation on the Word of God so that the that we can become more sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Many times the Holy Spirit is trying to comfort us, but we are so focused on our own anxieties and our own desires and what we didn't want that we cannot hear the Holy Spirit. That's why God says so many times, be still and know that I am the Lord. Sometimes you need to just stop and listen and seek the Spirit. That means we need to desire the Spirit. God's Spirit and God's presence has got to become more valuable to us than those things that, that cause our circumstances. See, there's our problem. We value the things of the world more than the things of the Spirit. And because of that, when bad things happen, they crush us. We have got to begin to understand my greatest treasure 
my greatest treasure are those times when I feel the Holy Spirit, maybe in times of quietness, in my own room, in prayer, and the word of God speaks to me and I just feel his presence. It is through that move of the Holy Spirit that strengthens me. Maybe when I'm crying in my brokenness and weeping, even though I hurt, I feel his arms around me and it gives me strength to make it through. That even though I hurt, I'm not gonna give in. That this will lead to my deliverance because the Holy Spirit is with me. Maybe it's when I'm driving in my car and a worship song comes on and I sing to the glory of God and, and just a spirit of praise and glory fills me. And I'm telling you, it's those times that we receive the, the strength to become overcomers. Maybe some of you feel, well, I'm just not that spiritual. There comes a time that you can't just use that excuse. Then you need to become that way. Then you need to pray, God, I, you need to make me. And I'm not talking about your life becomes constantly, ooh, all spiritual, uh, in the clouds. That's not necessarily being spiritual, but I am talking there is a point in your life that you do need to begin to seek a move of the Spirit in your heart. You do need to experience His overwhelming presence in your life. But that only comes when you spend time seeking it. Remember we read in Psalms uh, 34, it says that, that the Lord loves the person who desires Him, who seeks Him. It is only then that the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to not give in when we are crushed. When we are getting weary and tired. Because here's the thing. By your prayers, by knowing that I am part of a body, I have chosen to make myself part of a body. I have connected myself to a body and I initiate it and I connect myself to the Holy Spirit and I begin to revel in the power that the Spirit gives me. Those two things, when I do those two things, I can say like Paul, I know that what has happened to me is going to lead to my deliverance. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be made right. I know that the things that happened this week are not going to change. No matter what I do, it's not going to change. But I can say one day I'm going to stand before God and this will be one step in that purification in preparing that reward that he has for me. And I won't change anything for that. That's my deliverance. Things that have happened to me will lead to my deliverance one day. And I look forward to that deliverance when I receive his acknowledgement, and we will receive that together. Let's pray together.